Today I'm going to uh, speak to a very classical topic in uh, Buddhist discourse, uh, a theme of Dharma talks throughout the centuries. Uh, the theme, uh, as I've entitled it here, is learning to be alone. Sometimes the, the theme is uh, uh, phrased as how to be alone. One of the reasons why this is such an important theme in our practice is that uh, as human beings, we have a lot of difficulty being alone. We don't relate so well to the experience of alone, being alone, the fact of our aloneness. We don't relate so skillfully to it. Uh, most beings, when confronted with being alone, uh, seek to distract themselves from that experience of being alone. Uh, typically, we seek out some kind of a sense experience as a way of deflecting ourselves uh, from being this experience of being alone, some kind of sense pleasure. We seek to distract ourselves uh, from this confrontation with ourselves. You know, when we're alone, it's just us and us just us with ourselves. Sometimes it's, we say that uh, the most difficult confrontation we'll ever have in this life is the confrontation we have with ourselves. Uh, and that's the confrontation that we're asked to, uh, uh, to, to meet in, in, in being alone. Uh, the different forms of technology, uh, as I often speak to, uh, provide various ways to separate ourselves from uh, the fact of our being alone, the experience of being alone. The different means of technology uh, provide different ways to avoid the confrontation with ourselves. I've always liked to quote Marshall McLuhan who said, uh, you know, all technology is an extension of the central nervous system. So we create these alternative nervous systems and we try to reside in those systems, uh, those technologies. Uh, as technology becomes more and more advanced, uh, often what it's offering us is ways to take us further and further away from the experience of having a confrontation with ourselves, take us further and further away from the body, uh, which is our experience of life, the body, uh, further and further away from the present moment. You know, the more advanced technologies are, you know, provide more effective means uh, by which we can avoid being alone. Uh, ways to be to avoid being alone uh, that are more and more and more accessible. So the phone is the classic example. You know, you could take the phone wherever you go, and you don't have to be alone. You can look at the image, or you can make a call, or you can do whatever you want. You can be no matter where you are. You don't have to be alone, uh, or you can avoid the experience of being alone, or you can try to avoid the experience of being alone. So our inability to be alone, the difficulty that we have in being alone, uh, and of course what we do in response to that uh, the unskillful ways that we relate to the experience of being alone, the way that we avoid the experience of being alone through the intake of sense experience is stressful, is stressful. It causes suffering. 
so we use external sense pleasures like the phone as a way of avoiding being alone, as a way of trying to distract ourselves from the discomfort that we feel in being alone, but it actually increases our stress. It actually increases our stress. So as Dharma students, this is something that we're asked to see. So most people wouldn't consider that. Uh, they'd say, well, the phone is helping me deal with my stress. Uh, I think maybe on some level, some people are becoming more aware of that just in general. Uh, but as Dharma students, like we're not asked to uh, just take for granted what the notion of what the technology is supposed to offer us uh, being effective, that that's effective. We, we look and we say, you know, what are the consequences of, of avoiding being alone? What are the consequences of indulging in these different sense experiences as a way of distracting ourselves and taking us out of uh, the experience uh, of the present moment and that experience of being alone in the present moment. We're asked to see that there's stress. Now, I would submit this to you, uh, but you have to see this for yourself, right? That's the job of the Dharma student, and it's not enough for me to tell you that. It, it really only starts to change when you start to see that for yourself. Oh, it's really stressful when I'm on the when I'm watching TV all the time, or when I'm on the internet all the time, or when I'm on the phone all the time, or when I'm doing all these things that I do to take myself out of this experience of just me and my body, this confrontation with myself. Uh, so we want to see that there's stress there, and that what we're actually doing is exacerbating our stress level. It's exactly the opposite of what we think that we're doing, but, but that's what we're doing. But again, you have to see that for yourself. Uh, uh, and that's when things really start to shift, right? When you start to see things for yourself. I mean, another way we can think about this, and I'm using the word stress, and you could think about the word stress as you know, maybe the psychological way that we think about stress. Uh, sometimes we use the word stress uh, as a as a synonym for dukkha or suffering. So uh, that, and it is, uh, it's just a form of, of dukkha. And what we think of when we think about dukkha, when we think about the word that often is translated as suffering, the way that we like to think about that or what's happening there is that we're being blocked off from the heart, right? So that's even a more cogent way of looking at your experience and what your experience is like when you're seeking to distract yourself from the present moment, from the experience of being alone by using various uh, sense experiences or sense pleasures to see that what's happening is their stress, their suffering, but in, in a more cogent way and perhaps more uh, uh, a way that brings us greater concern, we see that we're blocking ourselves off from the heart. The heart is blocked, because this is what we're concerned with on this path, you know? Uh, we're concerned with the heart, you know? How is the heart? And we see that we're engaged, when we're engaging in these sense pleasures and experiences, we're blocking ourselves off from the heart. And our happiness in, in this life is dependent, uh, the teachings would tell us, and we come to see for ourselves, from being connected to our heart and living from the heart. 
uh, living with the wisdom that's in the heart and the love and the compassion and joy that's in the heart and that we're cut off from the heart when we are seeking to deflect ourselves from this human experience of being alone. So it's important as human beings, you know, and this is of course what the, the, the many Dharma talks on this topic over the years have spoken to, it's important as human beings that we learn to be alone. We learn how to be alone. Uh, it's important that we learn this because, you know, because the ways that we use to relate to being alone aren't skillful and they don't work. Uh, and it's important to learn to be alone, uh, 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 to develop the skill to develop the skill, to learn to be alone. The teachings of the Buddha offer us a way to be alone, uh, to learn to be alone. Now, why is it so important that we learn this? Because this is our human condition. This is our human condition. Uh, existentially, we're alone. Our experience of being human uh, uh, inherently entails a certain degree of being alone. I mean, at bottom, we're alone. You know, we're alone. Uh, you know, our experience of life is, 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 is one of a, a deep internal solitude. Uh, the poets speak to this perhaps better than the, the Dharma teachers do. Rilke said uh, in his letter to the young poet, and to speak of solitude, it becomes clearer and clearer that fundamentally this is nothing that one can choose or refrain from. We are solitary. We can delude ourselves about this and act as if it were not true. That is all. But how much better it is to recognize that we are alone. Yes, even to begin from this realization. So this is our human experience. This is our human experience. I mean, one way that you can think about this on a, on a purely uh, uh, physical level is uh, our experience of life is found in the body, right? Talked about this last week. I think the term is phenomenological, right? Our experience of life is, is found, as the Buddha said, within this fathom-long body. Uh, this experience that we have within this body is an experience that nobody can know except us. I mean, we can try to describe it, but nobody can know our experience of life, our experience of our body and what's happening within our body but ourselves. No one can truly know our pain. No one can truly know our joy. You know, so we're alone with that experience of life. You know, on a very practical level, you know, we go through much of our days and nights alone. You know, even if we live with partners and family and uh, go to work, uh, there's still much of our days and nights on a very practical level uh, that we spend alone. As Dharma students, uh, you know, who are committed to uh, uh, developing a deeper understanding of life, uh, who are committed to uh, internal transformation, uh, we need to be alone to some extent to develop the heart. We talked about this a lot in our retreat that just ended. 
you know, the importance of seclusion. That, you know, the Buddha said that seclusion is necessary to develop the heart. It's, seclu it's necessary to our mental training uh, that we need to be alone to some extent in terms of finding time for seclusion. I mean, meditation is time for seclusion. Retreat is a more, uh, uh, a deeper experience of seclusion. Now, of course, as I gave a Dharma talk at the end of the retreat, and we talked a lot about uh, retreat, there's time for seclusion and there's time for relationship. Uh, so the practice isn't all about seclusion, but seclusion for a Dharma student is a very important part of the training. It's not the whole training, but it's a very important part of the training. Ultimately, it's important to learn to be alone uh, because this is our human condition, and when we're in conflict with this very essential human experience, this experience of being alone, when we're in conflict with that, we're in conflict with what it is to be a human being. We're in conflict with our human experience. We're in conflict with the truth of our human experience. We're in conflict with the truth. We're not attuned to the truth. We're not attuned to the Dharma. We often use this phrase uh, to be out of tune. The Buddha used that phrase a lot uh, coming from a musician family. Uh, and we're often out of tune. And one of the ways that we're often out of tune is that we're out of tune with this very essential elemental aspect of our human condition of being alone. So, of course, this leads us to the question, well, what about relationship? And doesn't the Buddha say that uh, relationship is very important? And of course he does. Uh, you know, the, the, te the teachings tell us that association with wise beings, having wise friendships, is the most important external factor in the training of the heart. You know? So, uh, it's very important to develop wise friendships uh, and to develop a community based on wise friendships. When I think about a wise friendship, I mean, there's various things that, goes into, that go into wise friendship, ad admirable friendship, what makes an admirable friend, what makes a wise being. Uh, and one of the most important ways for under, to understand, and perhaps the most profound way for us to understand what wise friendship is, is that in wise friendship, in, 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 uh, in these uh, ways in which we have admirable friendship, what we're doing is we're supporting each other in each other's efforts to learn to be alone. So this is, a, to me, a good definition of, of relationship and what relationship is about. That relationship is, is uh, on the level of a wise relationship, according to the Buddhist definition, uh, a, a, a condition in which, uh, as beings in a relationship, we support each other in our efforts to be alone. And we just had our retreat. And, uh, and I spoke to this at the retreat, and I, you know, and it, it also comes up a lot for me in, in the interviews and meeting with people, 
and how how uh, how profound and how, how how touching it is for me to see how you know people go on retreat and they have the support of their partners and their children you know and they're away from them for over a week and it's just so beautiful you know and to see that love of 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 of, of the partner who's not there but is supporting the yogi in being on the retreat and taking that time or the 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 yogi's children or the yogi's friends who are support i mean i mean that's love that's love i mean it's so touching for me to see that uh, you know and, and, and it's also uh you know what we see in in dharma groups and, and in classes i think we really see it uh and it comes across so profoundly uh in you know it's a little harder i think in zoom but I think it's one of the things that we see, and you know, it's one of the, the reasons why I've been uh, I've been making an effort to begin to start doing more live classes. Is you know, we come to a Dharma group, uh, and uh, you know what we're doing. You know, it's so important to have the support of each other. And we come to a class and we meditate, or if we're on a retreat, uh, you know, and if you're on the re retreat or you're in a class. Uh, we're supporting each other in our efforts to be alone. I mean, to me, that's one of the beautiful things about a group of people meditating together. You know, I always, I always think, well, maybe it's just because I grew up in a house with like five kids, like, and I, there wasn't a moment of quiet. You know, and here I could sit in a room with twenty, thirty people, and everybody's keeping the silence. Or you're on a retreat, and everybody's keeping the silence. You know, that's love. You know that's that that's 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 wise friendship. You know that's that that's a, you know an extraordinarily profound experience of people supporting each other in each other's efforts to learn to be alone. Again, the poet puts it perhaps a little bit more eloquently. Rilke said, "I hold this to be the highest task of a bond between two people." that each should stand guard over the solitude of the other. I hold this to be the highest task of a bond between two people, that each should stand guard over the solitude of the other. So relationship is very important in our efforts to learn to be alone. In terms of the skills that we develop in our practice that enable us to learn to be alone, the primary skill is mindfulness. And of course, mindfulness begins with mindfulness of the body, right? It makes sense. Mindfulness of the body, our experience of life is the experience of the body, this fathom long body. So what enables us to be alone is developing the experience of mindfulness. Mindf you know, when the Buddha talks about mindfulness, he begins with mindfulness of the body. And actually, of course, what he begins with is mindfulness of the breathing. I mean, that's a beautiful way maybe to think about, you know, this experience of, of being human too, because, you know, the first thing we do, we take a breath. The last thing we do in this life, we take a breath, you know. So, you know, in our practice, we're learning to, you know, we're learning to be with this experience of being human, of being alone, you know. We, 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 nobody takes our breaths for us, you know. And uh, so we learn in this practice this uh, skill of mindfulness of breathing. This really is the primary skill that enables us to learn to be alone. 
and through the practice of mindfulness of breathing, the cultivation of the qualities of jhana, of concentration. Because what the Buddha found is just concentration itself, focus, or what he called singleness of mind, technically in Pali that would be samadhi, is not enough to support us in our efforts to be alone. We have to develop these four qualities of singleness of mind, ease, uh, 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 piti, sukha, uh, pleasure, and equanimity, upeka. Those are the qualities, samadhi, piti, sukha, and upeka, that enable us to be alone. So the first one, of course, is singleness of mind, samadhi. Uh, we develop this ability to keep the mind on our human experience uh, because and, and we and we use the breath as our center and through mental training we train ourselves to be able to keep the mind that's that first step really right where we're really training ourselves to keep the mind it, it also includes the other steps because when there's pleasure the mind will want to stay there right uh, to, we're training ourselves to stay right here in the present moment and not to go off after sense experience, right? Not to go off after experience that we might be apt to go off after as a way of avoiding the experience of being alone, as a way of escaping this confrontation with ourselves. So we develop the ability to keep the mind on the body, in this body, in this truth, in this truth of this body which is, in, which is inherently alone. But that's not enough. The Buddha found that wasn't enough. What he found that our experience of being alone had to include pleasure. It had to be pleasurable. Otherwise, and he found out this for himself, he couldn't maintain the posture of being alone, the condition of being alone, uh, until his experience uh, was pleasurable. Uh, so this is how he founded what's known as the middle path, where we don't uh, indulge in external pleasures, but we don't deny ourselves pleasure. We learn to cultivate a skillful pleasure, which is an internal pleasure that we can cultivate through breath meditation. So this internal pleasure, these qualities of ease, PT, the flow of energy, and the, cult and the, and the, and the, and the pleasure, the sukha that comes out of that, enables us to be alone. We're able to stay within this fathom-long body. We can keep the mind there, and it feels good. It's a pleasurable abiding, and we more and more, little by slowly, over time, it becomes amenable to us. And this experience of being alone becomes amenable to us because there's an element of pleasure to it. And of course, you know, these qualities of concentration that we're developing uh, uh, you know, really the mark of development in these qualities is our ability to maintain them in the world. So it's not just in meditation, not just developing the ability to be alone in meditation, but the ability to be alone wherever we are in, our, in the course of our days and nights, in all postures, in all activities. We're able to maintain these qualities of singleness of mind, ease and pleasure so that we can be alone in this world so that we can be alone. And then finally, there's the, the fourth quality of upeka or equanimity, uh, which enables us to understand our experience of being human 
and to be able to shape our experience of being human by choosing what's in our best interests. So equanimity includes this quality of calmness, you know, calmness, tranquility. Uh, I mean, even if you think about it just within the context of being alone, and we're talking about being alone or this quality of solitude as being existential, uh, that requires calmness, you know, requires a great tranquility. Uh, equanimity affords us calmness and from there, the ability to observe, to have space, which we talk about so much. And when there's space, there can be clear seeing. And when there's clear seeing, there can be understanding and wisdom. So one of the things that we learn to understand when there's equanimity is our thinking, right? And we learn to see uh, unskillful thinking, thinking that conspires to uh, incline us to avoid being alone. What we also learn to do, of course, with regard to thinking, is to cultivate thinking that supports us in being alone. Uh, and that largely comes under the category of what we call brightening the mind. Right? So when we're able to cultivate thoughts, just like we did at the beginning of the meditation, of uh, appreciation or brightness for ourselves, right? I talk about this all the time. Uh, Tennessee Rabiko talks about it as healthy ego development. You know, we cultivate thoughts about our goodness, our generosity, our virtue, the effort that we're making to be more loving and compassionate in the world. Uh, we cultivate these thoughts uh, and reflect on our goodness and we develop a quality of gratitude for our goodness and a quality of appreciation. And then, you know, being alone with ourselves isn't quite as uh, appalling as it might have been before. You know? I mean, part of the reason why we don't want to be alone with ourselves is because we're at odds with ourselves. So uh, that's why the Buddha, you know, said before you can meditate, before you can go on any kind of retreat, you got to start developing your parami practice generosity, practice virtue, learn to reflect on that, start to feel good about yourself, now you're in a position where you can really move into seclusion and really learn to be alone and confront the truth of your human experience, the existential truth of your human experience. So the gladdening of the mind, the brightening of the mind, using thinking in a skillful way supports us. So it's you know, the thoughts about our own goodness and the thoughts about the goodness in the world, the goodness of others, the preciousness of life, the preciousness of the Dharma, all of these kinds of thoughts, which as Dharma students were asked to engender in the service of shaping the way that we think, shaping our minds, they all support us very importantly in our efforts to be alone. So equanimity enables us to understand our thinking, to see our unskillful thinking and cultivate skillful thoughts. Equanimity enables us to be able to understand anxiety and fear, the anxiety uh, that's inherent in being alone, right? It's a very human condition and the fear of being alone, the anxiety of being alone. Uh, and of course, all the other mental states, perceptions that we grasp onto, which cause us stress with regard to being alone. Uh, 
equanimity enables us to deal with those kinds of emotions, right? People are alone, different emotions come up, I don't like it, I'm afraid, I want this, I need that, you know? That's all gonna happen, right? But as Dharma students, you're developing the ability to be able to understand what arises in the mind, the different perceptions, the different emotions, the anxiety and the fear, to see it with space, not to grasp onto it. So those things can be there. Hey, look, this is a scary experience. I'm talking about being a human being. <laughs> this is a scary experience. Sickness, aging, death, and separation. You know, you gotta be up to the task. You know, this is how you're able to be up to the task. Those kinds of emotions which are hardwired into us, you know, hardwired into us uh, are going to arise. But, you know, the Buddha teaches us skills so that we can relate to those experiences of mind, those perceptions, and not let them throw us off and take us out of being present and out of our human experience. Equanimity gives us that space so that we can develop the wisdom and understand anxiety and fear and the various mind states and perceptions. So when we have equanimity, we can understand the drawbacks in chasing after sense pleasure as a way of avoiding being alone. And we can understand the drawbacks in conflict, in being in conflict with being alone. And we can understand that uh, we need to learn to be alone if we want to make the most out of this human experience. And we learn to understand when there's equanimity and space and wisdom that we have everything inside us that we need to be happy in this life. You know, within this body, within this fathom long body, we have everything we need. We have the Dharma inside. We come to understand that little by slowly as we practice meditation, as we come into the body and we begin to understand and see clearly and develop wisdom into what we have inside, we understand that we have the Dharma inside, that we can be alone. We can have this human experience of being alone and be happy. We can fully meet this human experience, uh, including the truth of our aloneness and be happy. It's only when we truly understand that, that we can know happiness of heart. <laughs>